Welcome to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Watkins, a trial attorney and a member of Stoll Reeves Consumer Products, Manufacturing and Transportation Industry Group. This season, we're interviewing respected leaders in the agribusiness, food, beverage, and timber industries, and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at Stoll.com, that's S-T-O-E-L.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to this episode of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Watkins. My guest today is Jeffrey Chang, president and owner of FPS Food Process Solutions, based in Richmond, British Columbia. Jeff is a self-taught engineer who founded FPS in 2010 with the goal of making the world's best industrial freezers. Since then, he's grown the company to 10 different manufacturing and warehouse facilities, as well as international sales offices across five continents, including Brazil, Europe, China, Thailand, New Zealand, and of course here in the US. FPS customers freeze everything from chicken nuggets and blueberries to hash browns and sirloin steaks. In this episode, Jeff and I will discuss his experience in starting his own manufacturing business, growing that business, and the opportunities and challenges he sees in both the short and long term for folks in his industry and commercial manufacturing at large. Jeff, welcome to Deeply Rooted. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Elijah. This is uh, my pleasure and honor to have an opportunity to uh, share what I have and my, my beginning of life as an immigrant with you. Awesome. Awesome. We're glad you're here. So. You said immigrant. I, I kind of want to touch on that first. I want to start a little bit with uh, your background and kind of your story. If I remember correctly, this was years ago. You and I were having dinner at a at a fancy pants restaurant in in downtown Vancouver, I think. And you told me that you moved to Canada from another country as a teenager and really had to work hard to get to where you are today. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Uh, when I was a teenager, approximately about age of 15, I, I immigrant coming from China without speaking a word of English. So it was not my choice because my parents hopefully uh, brought me to a better education and hopefully end up to be a better life. So so I came along and, and ended up like it and studied over and learned English and People joking me at school because it's, uh, I was a little country boy and the way I dress and but anyways I I learned adapted to it and and since then and I second year when I was sixteen I started working uh, part time jobs in grocery shops and restaurants and delivery boy anything you name it I've done most of it and wow well, the basic it is I need to survive <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Need it>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I mean how do you go from that how do you go from you know, you don't speak any English, you learn English, you're working as a delivery boy at a grocery store and everything in between to, you know, where you are today, learning the ropes. Uh, self-taught engineer, is that right? Pretty much. I'm not an educated engineer, so I learned basically most of what I have today from the field and application-wise. And of course, I read a lot of books afterwards and to confirm what I learned. But, but mostly I say, yes, I will taught myself a, mo a lot of things. That's incredible. So, so, I mean, I'll admit that before we met, I really had no idea what an industrial freezer was. I think I thought they were those freezers that you have in the grocery store where they keep the ice cream or those big walk-in units where you get the organic spinach at Costco. 
But FPS, you're doing something a little more cutting edge. Could you explain to those listening uh, about what it is that FPS actually makes and generally how they work? Uh, high level, we're not self-taught engineers here. So high yeah. level, how does, how does it work and what are they? Well, I think mo- most of people probably don't have too good uh, idea what industrial freezers are. Just like you and I met at the beginning the same way. Because yeah. the consumers don't have an opportunity to really seeing or understand what industrial freezers are. And then they don't have a need for it. Yeah. So it's more for, yeah, you need to dig deeper into major processes. And yeah, like you just mentioned, from chicken nugget to blueberry to hash browns. And, but, but it's totally related to everyday you see from the frozen aisle or the fast food chains, anything from any name of the fast food or the giants. And yeah, you'll be surprised how much products actually flows. So what what appears is different, differentiate ourselves compared to all the places out there. It is we, well, we were small at that time. It makes it a lot more easier for us to set a different set of a goal and vision and what we try to do. The bigger the company, the harder to change. So since it was advantage and then also we, have, we didn't have nothing to lose or, mm-hmm. or you can call it as a gamble <laughs> because we have nothing. So, so I, I raised my hand and told my team and also we, yeah, a year later, we speak to the market that we want to be the most hygienic builder in earth. So basically on earth is, well, people will laugh at it. I say, well, why not? Why we just want to restrict ourselves in Canada, US, and North America? Wow, we don't know how long it will take, but hey, come on, it, it, it's just a goal, right? Yeah. If we make it there, we're happy. If we don't, so what? So, but in fact, we did make it through. So, so what is important is I've been coming to my early age working in restaurants. How important hygiene it is. How important food quality, food safe it is. Because I was told the first day I work in a, a Western restaurant that my supervisor told me, say, hey, Jeff, come into the, the walk-in cooler and everything that you look at, you smell it, everything you don't like it or you don't even dare to eat. That's the bare minimum. So the minute garbage can. Yeah. That's how I get started. I had no clue because I was new, but at least you can see from your eyes and food change color and you can smell them and leak. But that, that was the minimum basic I learned. But from there, I took it to many, many levels. So you got to start from somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so here you are, you know, you're working in a restaurant and you say, okay, food can go bad. Check. (laughs) And if it smells bad, looks bad, throw it out. Check. But then you turn that into, I want to make hygienic freezers, the most hygienic freezers in the world. What is that? What is a a tunnel freezer or a spiral freezer and what makes yours more hygienic than the next companies? Tunnel freezers, spiral freezers, almost any type of freezers. It basically became the most difficult, nearly the most difficult part of a single component in a processing line to be clean because it's complex. Mm-hmm. You have so many components inside the coil itself or what generating the coal that is the most difficult part you can clean because as you're talking about millions square inches of surface that inside that freezer. So how are you going to clean it? So people say, yeah, we got them clean, but majority of the nation is looking at they consider as clean is what they can see from the eyes. Yeah. But how can you see through that many square inches in that box? It's impossible. Yeah. So the idea is how we're going to be improving it to make it 
most access and, and find, even though we can get it a lot more improvement and access, but we'll never be able to confirm because we can't see it, we can't touch it. Then how do you know it's clean? Yeah. So yeah. this is why scratching the head is say, hey, how are we going to get there? So if you ask me today, you say, how is, can you guarantee your freezer is clean after you wash it? I say, no, nobody can. If somebody in the world telling you you can, the only one way is fill the whole freezer up with solutions and let them in there for hours and, and drain them yeah. and, and refresh them, you know, because it's flooded. But yeah. we, we cannot do that because there's a lot of electrical components, a lot of item, ear motors, anything you name it, lights, cables, junction boxes inside the box and outside the box. So a lot of things not quite practical and limiting us what we can do. So it, well, and then another level is, well, if we can get some of the components out, that already make it much better. Because like I just said, junction boxes, cables, motors, gearboxes, how about I get them all outside the box? Yeah. So yeah. we started thinking of how we can build all the structure and using our enclosure, like your, your wall and ceiling of your roof and in your house and how we're going to mount all those major components on the wall, on the ceiling. And so we can get them out so we don't have to run the cables inside. So we immediately eliminate 90 plus percent of those items on the outside, which is a lot more easy for cleaning. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you've got this tunnel freezer and, and forgive me, I'm an Idaho boy. And so I know about potatoes. You've got uh, a potato comes out of the field. It's hot. They clean it. They spray it down and they want to freeze this potato. It gets on a conveyor belt, comes in one end on your freezer. And when it comes out the other end, it's frozen and you can put it in a package and send it to the grocery store. That Right? Yeah, you can. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's really or mostly, down. Yeah, mostly <laughs> they'll, they'll go into a cold storage and waiting there for logistics and then they end up with the grocery store and go into one of the, the, the fast food service like stores French fries and, or whatnot. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 French fries or you can say potatoes and yeah, all different type at the end of it. Yeah, when sure. they're passing through the tunnel, it will be frozen. Okay. Okay. So uh, what what FPS did is instead of having all of the cables and motors on the inside of the freezer where you can't take a hose and spray it down because it'll get ruined, it'll fry the electricals, you moved them on the outside of the box and that allows you to clean the inside better? Well, number one, if we imagine your house... You have all the tables and chairs, all the support for the table, but imagine you you have only have a table, but without the legs on it. Yeah. Imagine how easy for you to clean underneath because it's always the most difficult is that who is going to look at underneath the, the table? Yeah. Right? So yeah. if I don't have them, then I don't need to clean them. So that's a concept. Right? Okay. If a cow, if, if, a, if, if somebody complaining it's hard to clean, but you have nothing to clean, but we're not there yet. When I don't think we're ever going to be there, but if we can eliminate all those surface, all the support structure that we don't need to clean them. So that's what exactly what we did. So we, once we, all the, remember all the motor gearbox, mounting brackets, cable trays and cables, junction boxes, now they're not inside anymore or 95 or 98%, 99% of the outside now. So yeah. that's a key difference. And also once we get them out, then is safe to hit up the, the inside of the freezer, the tunnel, because we don't have the motors, we don't have the junction box, the cables in there. Now we don't worry about that the hot temperature, because like you say, you're going to fry them. Besides water, temperature also going to fry the cable. Yeah. Now we can actually turn a freezer into a cooker 
So we all know when temperature is hot enough, that's why how, why we cook stuff, right? When yeah. we cook them, we kill. So it's safe to eat. That's why they're cooked. So we turn the freezer into a cooker, the same concept, because nobody can guarantee, I already said, nobody can in the world can guarantee 100% clean after it's washed because it's, it's impossible. Then doesn't matter if it's 90% or 99. Of course, we try to get it to 99, but 99 is not enough. 99.99 yeah. is not enough. And how about we cook it? Oh, that's interesting. So, so you're making a box, uh, a tunnel, an industrial freezer that can get really, really cold to freeze something. And then when you want to clean it, it can get hot enough to kill the bacteria on the inside. Correct. So basically what we call pasteurization. Okay. All right. So that, that's interesting. So walk me through how this works uh, on the customer end, which would be, you know, an industrial company. So you know, I'm a farmer or a rancher or a burrito maker, and I want to get my product frozen and ready for shipping. So I call up FPS and I ask for a freezer. Walk me through what happens next. What's the design process, the manufacturing process? How do you go from concept to having a final piece of equipment, you know, ready to deliver? Yeah. Well, in the, well, we're a lot more bigger and a lot more standardized today, but as an early stage, and even though today, well, as a first step, we'll, we'll sit down and listen to, to that client, potential client, what their needs are, because everybody uh-huh. thinking a little bit different or some just looking for cookie cutter. So we will spend the time and understand the product type, the product range, and then these and capacity, and then how their location is going to be, and then what their logistic going to be, atmosphere, temperature. And then after we gather all that information, and understand the capacity and as important their future needs. And okay. most of the client would not understand. They just say, hey, this is what I need today. I would say probably 50 to 75, 50% of the client to just tell you the story. So it's for us to ask a lot of questions. Are oh, you sure? Do you, are you, do you consider you're going to need a 20% growth in three years or you're going to need uh, something bigger later on? Because like you say, like a farmer, a farmer may be looking for something really small, but if a process giant, they looking for something really big, that is easy because they have the funding, they're going to add multiple factory, multiple lines. So they're already like a, like a giant unit. But yeah. I, I use, when you say a farmer, so a farmer could be wary from buying something from 2,000 pounds an hour all the way to 10, 20,000 pounds an hour. So somebody will come in here and say, wow, we need something really small today. But like I said, when you're starting something, a starting point, you need something small. Yeah. Nobody wants to put in millions and millions of for just to hey, say, we have the confidence we're going to be, have all these products going to be sold. So, so every- you, your, your job, I like how you said that they'll tell you the story. They'll come in and say, I've, I've got this food product and I need to freeze it so I can ship it and sell it at a grocery store. That's the story. And then it's up to FPS to know what questions to ask to say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? How have you come up with those questions? I mean, how do you know what to ask? Is it just from experience, trial and error? Uh, yes, from experience. Well, most important is you think on behalf of that potential client. Because this is really important. If I always ask myself and train our team and say, if I'm the client, what do I need? Yeah. So the only one way is to go into their shoes and my understanding. Of course, the experience over the years, the practice and give us a lot of information that we pretty much know what question to ask, but how are you going to get started? So yeah. is it, because it's like, say, if I, if, if I'm the client, I just want today say, hey, I produce maybe 
all I need is I produce, produce maybe 30,000 pounds of blueberries a day. But all I need is if I spreading out with 10 hours, I need 3,000 pounds per hour so I can freeze them, right? But obviously, they're not going to stop from there. They're going to be looking for something bigger because they're they're, up, all yeah. the freezers, they are not proportional in price. The bigger, the cheaper by capacity because there's always a base design. Every freezer always an entry and an and a, and a outlet. So all those are fixed costs, right? So if we look at it, if it 20, 30% is a fixed cost, so the 70%, then it becomes proportional material cost. So that means bigger, the better, bigger, the cheaper. So I always ask the question, I say, are you sure in three to five years? Because the least you don't want to replace the freezer because the freezer lasts 20 to 30 years. You don't want to touch them. But paying a little bit more money that you allow you to have some real room. Or yeah. somebody say, ah, today I need 2,000 pounds. I buy 2,500 pounds. But I can tell you by experience, many customers come back two years later and say, yeah, I wish I listened to you because I already grew <laughs> two times already in the last three years. My freezer is already way in the bottleneck. Then now he go into second, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. But we try to be helping the customer to understand what the longer term, not 20 years, at least three to five years. Yeah. So what they need to, yeah. to, to save money because they don't see, say, wow, you didn't tell me. So we always, when imagine just like you the same way, when you practice, you always think you have the client and, Think about them and because, because most of the clients, they don't ask that many questions. They, sometimes they even say, you, just like you go to a phone store, they give me the spec and then I choose which phone I like. But we're talking about equipments and millions of dollars. So it's not a cookie cutter. These are all custom if, built machines. Exactly. Even yeah. though it's not 100% custom, but it's some sort of custom, right? So yeah. it's, it's a capital equipment that you want to keep a long, long time, right? So, so this makes it so important to understand what the customer needs and the only one way is get into them, spend a lot of time with them. And well, the good thing is because I came from the ground. I, I took my many years to learn from them and, and then after learn from them, create a solution and give it back to them. So it makes me a lot more easier. But if somebody, a newcomer coming in, it's probably going to take years to spend yeah. time with on the field with the customer, even how they have us and how they bring the blood in, what temperature and each step, how can we improve them? Some customers have a lot of experience, some customers have zero. So it doesn't matter. We have to be prepared, right? And so uh, FPS started in 2010. What are you up to in terms of headcount? How many employees do you guys have now throughout the world? Today, globally, around 700. Canada alone, with 500. Oh, wow. Wow. So you're shipping these freezers uh, all over the world? Uh, yes, pretty much all over the world. Also, that uh, we expanded globally that to support our customers. So what, what our concept is, we're going to be globally localized ourselves to support our customers. So if our customers say, hey, uh, I, if a local customer, like US-based customer, he want to put a, a factory in, I say, uh, the Middle East, North uh -huh. Africa, in South Africa, or any place you name it, we are really willing to, to go there to support it and eventually to build a center locally to support it when the volume, it makes sense. Oh, wow. Well, so I mean, it, that just sounds like a logistical nightmare. <laughs> How do you get, you're, you're in Canada, like you said, 500 employees there and you need a freezer in, you know, Chile or you need a freezer in Anchorage, Alaska. How do you get just the raw materials to build those things and then get them on a boat and ship them around it? Walk me through that process. 
God, you're exactly right. Especially the last year and a half, two years is exactly a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pandemic did probably not treat you well, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. And then not because the ocean freight price went up to the roof five, six, seven times the cost and the delay. And yeah, it, it's to a point that it's manageable if mm -hmm. we... Because there's always problems, always things will happen. This is exactly what the world is today. Every day we need to prepare and adapt to it and create a solution to counter what the issue is going to be. So thinking ahead and looking at scheduling and looking, that's why expanding the global manufacturing, you make things easier. But in fact, nobody's perfect. We have shipments been delayed six weeks going to Europe because unexpectedly, the boat stopped it two times without knowing it, we knowing it. So that's why, and then they delay on other ports that we don't know. But in the past, these things just don't happen. Wow, well, it happened, but very rare. But today, because the cost of the, the shipping company, because they have more loads to pick up and then the boat is so full, it takes them longer. And then the port people that are not working the hour and probably don't have enough people, the COVID restriction. When everything adds up together, it's just a nightmare. How, how do you manage that? I mean, you've got customers that have, you know, take the farmer, for example, they've got a product, a, a vegetable, and it's rotting in the field. So they got to get it out of the field. They got to get it frozen. And you've got a grocery store that says, I've got empty shelves. I need this on my shelf. Otherwise, I don't have something to sell. And you're kind of the bottleneck, right? You're, you're the freezer that makes that stuff get on the shelf. How do you manage those expectations or how did you manage those expectations during COVID when kind of the things were falling apart? Well, we would, we set up a full team to handle those issues, but still run into really unexpected situations. Yeah. So the company actually did spend a lot of additional costs. Like, so for example, if we're going to run into like a, a, like for example, a four-week installation, if we run into a three-week delay, how we're not going to ask the customer are going to postpone the project for three weeks. Like you say, a farmer, if the product comes in, they don't get them frozen, they're going to lose the season. A smaller farmer could even go bankrupt because they'll be committed to the customer that this work going to deliver it to you. So we'll do anything we can to, like, for example, we run a double shield, we have people in there, we plan ahead and say, once the container come in, and then we're going to in sequence how we're going to install them. So everything we can think of by knowing the the, the shipment is going to be delayed. But unfortunately, sometimes the shipping company won't, don't, won't tell us until last minute. Yeah. So that's why we have teams tracking the, the boats and tracking the container, tracking where they are, even though locally with just a truck, yeah. it could be delayed. So we, it, it, it just like say everything that happened in the past, this has become 10 times, 100 times. That's yeah. all. So we just need to react to it really quickly and take control of the situation. And so every time when it happens, how the team going to be react to it and minimize the damage. And so I guess it's a, relatively speaking, everybody's not doing good if it compared to before, but it's only matters who's doing better. <laughs> right? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And, and has FPS kind of weathered that storm? It's found itself doing better? Then uh, maybe the next, uh, next company. I believe so. We did and we continue doing that because it's the, what the customer sending us orders from later part of 2021 and early part of 2022 is telling us we're doing good. 
Yeah. So that's why orders are coming in. We have backlogs all the way to nine, 10 months of backlogs and order coming in super strong second half of 2021 when COVID got eased a little bit. <clears throat> so yeah. I guess the result will tell you whether the customer likes you or not. But You know, it, it's interesting you said earlier about, you know, you needing to know the customer to ask them the questions and everything. And then hearing you talk about a farmer, whether it's a small farmer, big farmer, maybe they go bankrupt because they don't get their product in. It strikes me, you need to know not just on the design phase about the customer, but really how their business works and keep a pulse on that. With the range of products that your freezers freeze, how do you do that? How do you stay up on what's important to a a fish farmer and a potato farmer and a processed food maker? How do you kind of know where their soft spots are and where where FPS can add value for them? While most of the company will be just selling a product. Yeah. I ran the company like a service company. No matter how good a product you have, just like a car, no matter which car, which car brand you're going to buy, they're going to break down eventually one day, yeah. right? More or less. Yeah. No car that's not going to break down. So based on that, by understanding, so that extra step of understanding the customer's business, their behavior, the way they're doing the business, you significantly help to minimize the issue in between. So that's why I said, we think on behalf of the customer that it becomes so important. If I'm the customer, if my business, what is the sense of urgency? But of course, everybody is have a sense of urgency, then that means you're going to put everyone in top priority, which is then is no top priority. Everything's in priority. But how are you going to sense that? Which customer you want to be as more urgent so you can... Well, wow, everybody have limits, right? We have limited capacity, we have limited resource, so we so it's it's not open chat. So, but how we're gonna move the people to help the people that is needed more urgently as today than the other one that have a few more days to buy, that's become so important. So that's that there's nothing you can do by sitting in the office and try to do your job by looking at numbers. So yeah. only one way is after you sell them the product, that's just the beginning of that process. People sell it, I sell you the product is yours, but no, selling the product and put it in the customer's site is just the beginning of the life cycle of that product. It's interesting. That's interesting. I like that. We talked about FPS, the company in relation to its clients and its customers and kind of how you fit in as the president of, of the company for that. I wonder if we can look the other way and say, all right, here's this company that's got 700 employees scattered throughout the world. COVID restrictions, and of course, those are uh, lightening up now and have gone away in other instances. But how do you manage that body of people under these intense, intensely stressful situations with you know constraints and, and financial costs and, and just kind of burnout? How do you manage people? It, it, yeah, it's, wow. I don't need to tell you. Everybody would know it's a challenge. Yeah. I think... Even friends and customers, suppliers, we you can see a lot of people that actually did burn out through those times because yeah. the pressure, how to get things done, and then your phone rings, and and especially for us, like I said, if we look at Europe, and then it was so bad in some point of the COVID restriction, and then our team was new, and then in Asia, you look at in New Zealand, and even in Brazil, we started. Most of our international divisions and in, back in either later part of 2018 or later part of 2019, just before the COVID. So yeah. the teams are new. 
But at some point, you almost just tell them and say, it will be fine. We're losing money over there. But don't worry, we're not going to close it. So just be patient and just hang in there. At some point, almost just to tell them, say, don't worry about the business. Just hang in there. Just hang in there. We're going to live through this. Hopefully, we're going to go through this hurdle without bankruptcy, without going into bankruptcy. So yeah. that way they know they're going to have a job. They're not panicked. They don't feel well about it because they don't, nobody wants to see the company losing money, in, at least in that division. But yeah. at least emotionally, they feel better. Yeah. So I've been talking to them over the phone, team meetings, and I even flew over to, to calm them down. So because they are the big, wow, that's the important part of the asset of the company. So that's why we started. But by losing them is even a bigger cost. So, but nobody knows how long this situation is going to be. So the only one way we say, wow, we take the loss. We calm them down. We're just waiting for that moment when COVID is getting to the end and then we can start traveling. Then we can hold their hands and train them because they cannot, they cannot come to, come to Canada for training. We, we cannot send a team over there to train them. So only when we can say, wow, but instead of most companies that just cut the loss and then close it down or cut 50% of people off during the COVID. But we didn't do that. We basically nearly killing everybody. That's amazing. So That's of course the, the impact is millions in cost. Yeah. But it was the, like you said, you've seen customers calling you back as a result of kind of keeping these employees in place and, and delivering a good product. So hats off to you. That's awesome. So you went from a, a nothing quote unquote, nothing company in 2010 to where you are today, all over the world, lots of employees, lots of growth. How do you manage that growth? And I guess what, what advice would you have? to someone like you, right? An, an armchair engineer, maybe someone who has some idea and they say, yeah, these barriers to entry, there's other companies that are doing this same thing. I don't know if I'm the right person to do it. What, what kind of advice would you have for them? Well, we, we run things really differently here. I'm really blessing that all my partners have 100% full trust to me, that yeah. which is, makes our decisions a lot more easier but also become a challenging that I mix a lot of directional decisions and they rely on me as well. So when you say advice to myself, that's not a whole lot, but also I can share how I do things and perhaps and it may fit some of the, the people that are listening to it. That is, at some point, it, yeah, the number's important. The, the global politics also has something to do with the economy. But the really fortunate part, we're in food business. Regardless what happened, people will, we need to eat. Yeah. I was the key point when I en entered into this business because it doesn't matter if it's a good time or bad time. It may be a few months of downturn, but people will need to eat regardless. So, so we have the confidence to con continue to, to grow, invest, like I said. We have nothing to lose. Everything we have today, we earn it. And based on our customer handing over the funding to us and ask us to build them the equipment. So why we are concerning as long we have a good poor customer still lies us. So I think the benchmark it is, so everything have a benchmark. Our benchmark is if our, we're still popular, we still, our customer still happy, then it's worth to do it. If our customers started too many complaints and our team is started to become negative and we don't feel good about it, then it's time to put a pulse on it. He said, hey, we got to rethink. 
and what we do. But as long that percentage is high, nobody have 100% customer satisfaction. Sure. But we try to get there, right? As long that number is high enough, then like I say, relatively speaking, if somebody's rating is only 80% and somebody's rating is 90%, it will be in a 95% level. But at the meantime, how are we going to satisfy, try our best to satisfy the other 5% and maintain the 95 On the other hand, I think it gives us enough confidence to continue to grow because the industry needed us and needed somebody like us to provide them the equipment. So whether it's going to be FPS or somebody else, that would need a partner. So we just want to be there and be their partner. Where do you think the industry is going? You know, maybe kind of read the the chicken bones and the tea leaves and, and say the the food storage, food preservation space, what's kind of on the horizon for your industry as, as a whole? Well, what I'm seeing in our industry today, it actually, that is quite the, the practice in the last 30 years. It coming from a lot of partnership to lost trust between customer and suppliers. Okay. Now we actually, what our wish list is to rebuild that relationship, a trust partnership, because I get, everybody loves a partner, a trust partner, but how are you going to find one, right? When one or two, three partners let you down, you probably wouldn't trust number four. It needs a lot of confidence and gamble to continue to find that trust partner. So that's why most customers have a multi-international multi brand in the factories, which is, makes it really difficult to maintain. So when bedtime happens, who is going to take care of your user partner? So it, you can see the industry has been moving from, it's still going to be, I don't know if it's going to be even feasible to make that, to rebuild that. But like I said, when we started 12 years ago, we want to be the most hygienic, the best freezer manufacturer. Nobody thinks it can happen. Mm -hmm. But today, the same thing. He said, how can you happen? How can you make the customer trust you and hand it over all that business to you? Wow. Well, we're going to prove it ourselves. We're going to earn it. We're going to, if we do our job each day better and think behalf the customer and take care of them, but in some point, we spoil them. And to the point, they say, wow, in fact, we didn't know that we rely on you so much. But of course, and some... Some supplier will become really greedy and then they start to be overcharging the customer and not supporting the customer. And, and that's why they lost it because earning, maintaining a customer actually is harder than earning a customer. Yeah. At the end, it is the partnership, that true trusting partnership that how it's also going back to the beginning. If we always think about the client, that you always do the best for them, right? If you yeah. have a client, you need to spend that extra dollar when it's not needed. Mm -hmm. And if we need it, they don't want to spend that dollar. At least we, we've, on that behalf, we always at least tell them the story. I think you will need it, my friend. They will say, no, I, I, I don't have it. I don't want it. But I say, there's many ways doing it. We can help you to structure the payment. We can help you to do a lot of things because we know you need it. Right? So yeah. we help them to make the right decision. So imagine if we keep doing that, where the customer going to go? Yeah, that that sort of customer focus, I think, is is really important. And and you said something that kind of struck me. You saying that it's it's harder to to keep the customer than to get the customer to begin with. I think that's so true, right? You just you make a good product. FPS makes a world class product, and yeah, people can buy it. But once they have it, do they want to buy a second one from you and a third one? And do they want to stay with you? 
Um, and that's that's a different story. That's a different story altogether. Yeah, this is the way because there's a, a lot of, lot of, there's a lot of manufacturing. They were focusing on spending a lot of money and cost to try to mark for marketing and try to earn new customers. But for us, as long as we can maintain, I would say 99.9% of customer base, what we have today. And yeah. all we need is to find a few new customers because the existing customer also growing. So you can easily have a double digit 20, 30% on even 40, 50% growth. Just based off of the customers you currently have. Correct. Because the, the current customer that grow 10% is quite normal. The market, most of the customer can grow between 10, 5 to 20% a year annual basis. If they're growing, we're growing. So if we find a few more customers, then those customers also add into the portfolio. So it's not that difficult. But but you, you you'll be surprised you how many how many manufacturing they they're losing customers faster than they find your customers. Because they because emotionally you're gonna fight with your heart to earn this customer. You do everything you can. Even need to go to clean the toilet. You you want to do that. Because, <laughs> hey, I want to earn this customer. I do everything they want me to do. Okay. Yeah. With within the limit. Okay. Yeah. So there's always is a limit. Within the limit, you want to do everything to earn that customer. Okay. You want to if they you, you want to drive them, you want to take them, you want to show them to and travel around to show them all the good things. And but once you get the customer into your portfolio, are you still have the same mentality? That's the key. Most of the people will slowly back off after like three, four years after they buy multiple unit. Oh, it's in the pocket, right? Why why we need to serve them like this? Let's focus the energy to a new customer. So I say no. We just need to grow a bigger team. So the, the one team is maintaining them. The other team is going to find the new ones. I think, that, I think that's just so true. And I, uh, a lost art, you know, it's the, the service level just isn't, I think, where it was even 10 years ago. Um, so it's awesome to see FPS is kind of holding that line and even expanding it. It's neat. Well, I, there's, I guess you don't need education to understand that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and for sharing your story and the story of FPS with our listeners. I mean, it's it's been great. It's really been great. No, thank you. I appreciate it because it's, uh, I always want to share my experience. And, you know, as a as an immigrant, I think we work much, much harder to earn what we have today. But I guess it's uh, at the end of it, sharing our story, if anybody can benefit from it, that is, yeah, that that's more than enough for me. Thank you for listening to the Store Reeves Deeply Rooted podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stole.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and may not reflect the views of Stole Reeves LLP. Participation in this podcast by any individual is not an endorsement of any view or opinion expressed. This is not legal advice, and the podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship.